Praise the Lord. Well, I tell you what, the Lord is coming. Hallelujah. Give somebody a high five next to you and say, Jesus is coming. I'll tell you one thing, friends, more and more, I just want to tell you, I just have this sense that this old world is not my home. We are not supposed to be here. We're going to be in heaven before you know it. And we welcome you here this morning. Thank you for coming. We have prayed for each of you, even if we don't know your name. We pray that God would just miraculously, supernaturally just bring a link and that thousands would come uh, via the internet. And so we're glad you're here. For those of you on YouTube and for those of you on Facebook, God bless you. And for those of you on Instagram, we welcome all. And uh, we have an exciting announcement because uh, into the service we'll tell you about that. But uh, things are going to change. And uh, I don't want you to get comfortable sitting on that couch. Now, some folks have told me how nice it is just to sit there with their cup of coffee and feet up. And uh, so uh, when you come back, we're going to have these wonderful chairs for you. You're going to have to have your feet up. We'll have waiters come, you know, make sure you get your coffee. So we want you to feel just like home. I know some of you brothers, your wife brings you coffee like that, right? Brings you your slippers. And, uh, um, and no, it's the other way around. Okay, I got it. But anyway, we're so glad each of you are here this morning. The power of biblical patience. We need patience. I know you need patience. Uh, I need patience. I don't think I've ever met anybody that doesn't need more patience. And I've met some pretty patient people. I, I don't know that I'm one of those. But I will tell you, there is a tremendous power in biblical patience. Now, our Lord Jesus made it very clear. And I don't think he could have been any more plain when he laid it out for us. The brass tacks. In John 16, verse 33, he said, In the world, as long as you're living you will have tribulation. <laughs> You're going to have trouble. In other words, you are going to have your patience challenged. Folks, I honestly, I can't hardly get up for more than a few minutes before I have my patience challenged. I stubbed my toe on a stupid uh, bedpost uh, last night, you know, and I laid there for a couple of minutes in the bed thinking, why in the world do I have to, you know, do that? I mean, it's so irritating. I know the bedpost is there, but I brushed it with my toe, and doggone it, that thing hurt. And uh, then, you know, I mean, it, honestly, patience is tested within a few minutes of getting up every day and throughout the day, whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, no matter what it is. And I know for some of you, uh, you're sitting there, you don't identify with me. You're saying, Pastor, you really need help. You need prayer. And I will say, yes, you're right. But I'm not the only one. Even Paul said in the book of Romans, he said, The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. It is impossible not to get caught up in creation's curse. And all the books and all the seminars in the world cannot eliminate the fact that we need some biblical patience. It's a part of human experience. From getting in your car and finding out that you got a flat from waiting on hold for 30 minutes to standing in line for, to pay so you can go into some place and have the Gestapo there, or I'm telling you what, it's just crazy. The relationships around us, 
It is impossible in a fallen world not to be constantly challenged. In fact, I once heard a Bible teacher say that in his opinion, the reason for most irritations is just God teaching us patience. And uh, I know God's teaching a lot of different things, but for most of us, God is teaching us patience. And as a Christian, we actually have additional issues to deal with. And that is when you are a Bible-believing, Bible-living Christian, you're going to be persecuted. I mean, it's just going to be there. When you share the gospel, when you live a biblical lifestyle, it threatens others. And so we need to have biblical patience. Biblical patience. Now, what is it? It's not stoicism. You know, this concept that I can take any kind of pain. It's not resignation, apathy, where I just simply say, you know, whatever it is, it, it, what it is, you know, whatever will be, will be. It is not being a passive doormat. What is biblical patience? Well, the Apostle Paul in one place talked about it being like a fight. You know, in boxing, uh, and I'm trying to figure out why they allow boxing and MMA right now, you know, for sports, and, and not things like bowling and things, but whatever. Um, so you're a boxer. Now, you can, if you want to, if you want to be laying on the ground in a couple of minutes, you can come in like a wild man of Borneo, just swinging your arms, flailing them everywhere, you know, coming in. You might land a few blows, but a good boxer take you apart. He'll dance, he'll bob, he'll weave, he'll run, and then when it's time, he'll lay you out. I mean, boom, you're gone. And a lot of people attack life like that, man, just crazy, wild, nuts, and then they're knocked out by the devil. But a patient fighter waits. Paul said, wait, wait for your moment, and then boom, hit the devil, boom, hit him, pop him one, lay him out, but be patient. Because you can't come in crazy. Patience takes your time, waits for the opening, and then you lay them out. And that's what the church does. The church, and I tell you what, we need patience right now. And we're going to knock out the devil. I promise you. I promise you. Because the Bible says the gates of hell can never prevail against the church of the living God. We are attacking the gates of hell. And they're not going to go down without a fight. But we're patient. We're ready to take our time, and biblical patience will get the job done. If we're going to have patience, the answer is prayer, at least most of the time. I heard the story this week about a ship that was sinking, and right in the middle of the storm, the captain called out in a panic to the crew, does anybody know how to pray? And one man stepped forward bravely and said, yes, sir. I know how to pray. The captain said, great, wonderful. You pray while the rest of us put on life jackets because we're one short. <laughs> yep, we need patience, amen, and prayer works, well, at least most of the time. Well, let's pray today for God to help us learn biblical patience. Let's pray. Father, bless us with this truth. Transform us, and God, thank you that you will teach us how to be active in our patience and trusting you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you were with us last week or if you were able to join or listen 
to this on the uh, podcast or on uh, after the fact on one of these uh, social media platforms, then you saw that one of the main New Testament words for patience is the Greek word macrothumia. Uh, we don't usually uh, use the Greek a lot, although it's uh, very important to do it occasionally, and I think this is one of those times, because macrothumia is a very uh, word that we use. Macro meaning big or large or big picture. Thumia, same word for therm or thermometer for heat. Long heat or long burning actually have in your mind, uh, you know, uh, the old-fashioned uh, bomb, you know, with a long fuse. And it's taken a long time before that thing explodes, and that's kind of the concept. We found out that uh, the use of that word in the New Testament comes in three ways. First of all, patience, microthumia, never gives in to negative circumstances. Despite the circumstances, somehow, some way, we make it through. Number two, patience, macrothumia, never retaliates against difficult people, no matter how difficult they are. doesn't mean you can't avoid them. doesn't mean you can't uh, clarify the situation. doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. It just means that you will not retaliate. And that's the key. Never retaliate. Don't, have, don't wish any harm for anybody other than for God to get their attention, but no harm on anybody. And then number three, macrothumia, patience, never stops believing that God will work out His will. All right, now let's go to the book of James, chapter 5. We talked about the book of James, chapter 1. We talked about the difficult times uh, here the last few weeks. But let's go to James, chapter 5, and we're going to go verse uh, 7 through 11. These verses are just about the, uh, the entire concept uh, in one passage on biblical patience. And I th- that's why we're going to use it as our theme for this Sunday and the Lord willing next Sunday. All right, let's all read it together. Let's read all of these verses uh, first, uh, and then we'll get into the message. James chapter 5, verse 7. Ready? Why don't we read it out loud? If you're there, uh, just read it out loud, even if you're by yourself. It's something about hearing the Word of God, because the Bible says faith comes by hearing. I think it needs to come in your ear gate. There's some kind of connection between the ear gate and faith. So read it out loud, would you? Okay, verse 7. Ready? Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold the husbandman, farmer, waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Hallelujah. Grudge not against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And just that last little part there, the Lord is of tender mercy. He is a patient God. Did you know that at least 12 places in the New Testament, God says that He is slow to anger? He is patient. And I would say you would agree with me, amen, 
Thank God that our wonderful Heavenly Father is a patient God. <laughs> Thank God He is patient. If He wasn't patient, I'm telling you, every one of us would be a little pile of ashes and a little puff of smoke. God would have taken care of us a long time ago. That's why Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, The long-suffering, the macrothumia of God in salvation. Hallelujah. Thank God for His patience towards us. And so James says, we ought to have patience. God is a patient God. We ought to have patience. And the context is brethren. He says, brethren. So he's talking to believers. We need patience in our homes, in our believing homes. We need patience in our churches. We need patience between God's people. And then in these verses, he lays out very clearly six practical steps towards biblical patience. And so I believe uh, we ought to look at those. Let's go over three of those today, and the Lord willing, on the next Lord's Day, we will cover the rest. All right? Here we go. Number one, patience comes when we rejoice in the Lord's coming and live in the light of it. James chapter 5, verse 7, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Verse number 7 says, the coming of the Lord. Verse number 8, the coming of the Lord. Verse number 9, the coming of the Lord. Three times in three verses, in its direct relationship to patience, he said the only way to have biblical patience is to have on the forefront of your mind the coming of Christ. The basic point is this. Folks, Jesus is coming so you can be patient. Did you know that during the earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus at least 20 times personally referred to his second coming? And when you take the balance of all the verses in the New Testament, one out of every 25 verses actually speaks about the second coming of Christ. Many times we don't think much about the coming of Christ, but the early church, they lived in light of the coming of the Lord. Many of them would greet one another and say, Maranatha, the Lord cometh. He is coming soon. They would greet one another with the fact that Jesus is coming. I think it'd be a great day if we would just walk up to somebody and say, Jesus is coming. The Lord is about ready to break through into this world, the day in which we live I think there's a wonderful realization for many of us that this world is not my home, and we're going to a better place, and I, for one, am certainly glad about it. The first century church loved the second coming because they were very downtrodden. They were very beat up, and the devil was always on them. He was always after them. He was affecting them in so many ways. He was coming at them uh, with uh, these terrible rules and regulations from the government, from their own uh, bosses or slave owners, and uh, the situation economically was very terrible. Uh, their living conditions were poor. Uh, they were always just being uh, uh, looked at and put down. It was a difficult time, and their patience was being tested. And so Paul said, folks, we've got to be patient. We've got to be patient, just like they did in those days. Now, honestly, I will tell you that these lockdown measures 
that have been put in all of the states and really all of the countries, I think honestly they've been a wake-up call for this self-serving, especially indulgent American church. I frankly think that too many of us have not been thinking about the coming of Christ. I, I frankly think that too many of us are thinking more about the next thrill, the next goodie we're going to get, rather than the fact that Jesus is coming. And we, our next trip is planned, or our next expenditure, or, you know, our goals, folks. The biggest goal is that Jesus is coming. We ought to wake up every morning saying, perhaps today, today, Jesus, come. Look in that mirror and say, Jesus, I'm looking for you to come today. Tim, Jesus is coming to get you today, and that's what we ought to do, the coming of the Lord. Now, I want you to look at that word coming. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The actual word there, coming, the English equivalent would be arrival. You go to a, you used to be able to go to airport, you would say departures and arrivals. That's actually the word coming. It means arrival, and it doesn't mean just an arrival in the sense of, you know, an event. It is meaning that the person is coming. It means an appearance. That's really what the word is. It means, yes, it's an event, but it is actually the very person is coming. When we have the holidays, we love them. We love the smells. We love the sights. We love the tastes. We love the different things that come with the holidays. But almost always, the event is made better by the people. It means the people that come together, and especially, let's say, around Christmas times, it's the people who come together or the, uh, the loved ones that you're hoping to see. And so, yes, it's an event, but it's the coming of the person. And that's what it's saying here. James is saying, look, Jesus is coming. It's more than an event. It's a coming. It's an arrival. It's an appearance. Folks, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to talk to Jesus. You're going to be right there with Jesus. That's the point. He's trying to make. We're not, this is not some, you know, far away theological concept. <laughs> We're talking about the person of Jesus Christ. He is coming. It's an arrival. Notice what it says there, brothers and sisters, therefore, be patient. Therefore, that is a connecting word, meaning in light of all that we're going through, in light of what you're going through at work, in light of what you're going through in your neighborhood, in light of what you're going through financially, in light of what you're going through, no matter what condition, know this, Jesus himself is going to return soon. And when he does, he is going to judge everything righteously. And so he says, I want you to look for the coming of Jesus Christ. I want you to look up. Sometimes people will say, well, keep looking up, pastor. And to them, most of them, I think they're meaning be positive, you know, look on the bright side of life. And we might say to somebody, keep looking up. But actually, I think that phrase should be interpreted, keep looking up. Keep looking for Jesus. Keep looking up. Keep your eyes heavenward for the arrival of Jesus Christ. My precious wife and I, we are blessed to live in a, just a lovely home, not a fancy home, but it's a nice home. And one of the unique features of this home is that it has a, a little creek. They call them around here a slough. <laughs> Some of you folks listening to this probably wonder what in the world a, a slough is. Well, it's just kind of a little creek that doesn't have much in it. But uh, 
over that creek, there's an old crickety uh, bridge, an old wood bridge, and uh, nobody can sneak up on our house, at least via a vehicle, without us knowing. Our house is upstairs, and about 99.9% of the year, I have the window cracked. You say, in the, when it's 30 degrees, oh yeah, that's when it's the best. And you say, why? Because it's freezing in there. And uh, I'm kind of a smart guy, because when it's freezing in my room, my wife gets real close. And I like that. And so, but at any rate, we're sitting there in our room, and all of a sudden we hear the rumble, thunkity, 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 thunkity. And we know somebody just drove into our place. They drove over the rickety bridge. Thunkity, thunkity, clunkity, clunkity. There they come. Hey, I want to tell you something. And we get excited. <laughs> Whoa, who just came to visit us? We don't get a lot of visitors, you know. And so, oh, who came? So we'll stand up there and look outside. Oh, look who came. Look who came. Abby just ordered a dash again at midnight. And she just had to have sushi. <laughs> oh, my. But at any rate. No, it's a, it's a visitor. Hey, guess what, folks? I can hear the thunkity thunk right now. Jesus is getting ready to come. He's about ready to arrive in this old rickety world that we live in. It makes a lot of noise. But I'll tell you one thing. It's just telling us that Jesus is coming. That's what I hear, the rumbling of Jesus. That's why it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, I reckon... Paul was a good old southern boy. For I reckon that the southerns, the, su <laughs> the southerns, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. <laughs> I reckon. Actually, that's not a southern uh, saying. It actually means I've considered or I've recognized something. I, I've come to the conclusion. You know, have you ever had one of those days? <laughs> I, did, I came to the conclusion. God's like, yeah, I'm trying to get a hold of you for a lot of time. But he said, I, I've come to the conclusion. I put suffering on one scale. And he said, it was so light, I couldn't even hardly weigh it. I was intrigued by that statement, that thought concept, that word picture there. And I googled what is the most sensitive weight scale? And I found out they have a scale now that uh, it's a very thin little metal blade connected with some kind of electronic device. And if you can imagine, they can detect a cluster of an atom that is a trillion times lighter than a gram. <laughs> it's called a zeptogram. <laughs> can you imagine? They can weigh an atom? Unbelievable. Here's what God is saying. Here's what Paul is saying. He said, I, I considered, I thought about it all. And he said, you know what I realized? I realized that the suffering, honestly, the real suffering I'm going through, in light of all that's going to happen for me in eternity, is like a zeptogram. It's like, a, it's like weighing an atom compared to the glory that I'm going to receive in heaven. That's why he told preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5, watch, be patient, endure afflictions, watch. How do you endure afflictions? Watch. Watch the clock. The boss might come in and get on you saying, what are you doing watching the clock? Now I know you're working from home now, and so now your wife is asking you why you're watching the clock. But actually just say, you know, it's very scriptural to watch the clock. 
Because here it says, watch in all things. Watch the clock. What are you saying, pastor? I'm saying, folks, it is midnight. It, it is a couple minutes to midnight, and Jesus is coming at midnight. It is the 11th hour, Jesus said, watch the clock. Maybe we ought to get all ourselves a little countdown clock and just put it out there somewhere and say, that's when Jesus is coming. Live in light of the coming of Christ. Watch the clock. Notice what he said here in these verses. He said, behold. Now, when Jesus said, behold, he's like going, do I have your attention now? It's kind of like putting a divine highlighter on that. Behold. If you want to know how to be patient, be like a good farmer. He uses a very everyday example. It was a, an agrarian society. They mostly were at least agriculture or related to agriculture, industry of some sort. And he said, farmers know how to be patient. Now, <clears throat> does a patient farmer just sit there, grow, grow wheat, grow oats, grow, and pray, oh God, grow the oats. Um, well, I'm, unless there were some volunteer oats and happen to have a good rain, it's not going to grow. You've got to plant, you've got to get the weeds out. <laughs> Actually, there's quite a bit of activity to that patience. And sometimes folks have the idea, I'm just waiting on God. <laughs> you know, you've you got to do something with your waiting. Uh, Paul said, there are many open doors. How did he know that? Because he was pushing on them. He's pushing on the doors, and they were opening. But if we just wait for a door, some folks have the idea they're just going to, you know, wait around and uh, wait for a fried chicken to fly into their mouth, you know. But folks, come on, you got to go out there and kill that chicken. Be nice, though. I mean, kill it nicely. But I mean, you got to kill that chicken and fry that sucker up, and then you can eat that chicken, but there's something to it. You got to water, you got to plant, you got to fertilize. Yes, God brings the harvest, but we have a part. Notice what it says they're waiting on the precious fruit of the earth. Here, James says if you want to have patience, think about how precious the fruit's going to be, how valuable, how wonderful. Now, some things grow overnight. Wheatgrass grows overnight, mushrooms grow overnight. What do you have when you're next morning? You have wheatgrass. <laughs> you have mushrooms. You can go ahead and put it in your green drink if you want to, but not for me. Man, I, uh, something like Diet Pepsi takes years to make. It's beautiful stuff. And uh, here, um, he said, there is a time factor in this patience, but it's worth the wait. <laughs> you know what I found out? I found out a lot of times I'm in a hurry, but God's not. And then it just seems like God just says, if you want something valuable, you have to wait for it. And he uses the concept of early and late rains. Now, we've read, uh, read this passage many times, and we said, okay, okay, you know, early rains, late rains. So what are you talking about? Well, remember now, this is a, an analogy. They get it. They didn't uh, have a lot of irrigation, although irrigating and canals were certainly there, but it was mostly the Romans that had it. The, uh, the poorer Jewish people at the time here of Paul and James didn't have that largely. 
It was available, but most of them they had to just wait for the rains. So they would make sure they got out there before the early rains. They live in a similar type of climate and place than we do. And so the early rains might come in October, occasionally September, but you might get a good rain in October, but it's not going to do anything if you don't plant. You got to get that out. You got to get it ready. So once September comes, certainly maybe August, get that thing ready and then hope for that early rain. Have you ever had an early rain in something? Maybe some project, maybe some goal, maybe some plan that you have and you're you think this is what God wants you to do, and you get a good start, and you say, okay, good, praise the Lord. Man, look at that. Boy, the early rain comes. <laughs> Yay! This is going to be a piece of cake. Man, I mean, it's going to, ooh, it's going to be, we're going to just, we're going to go right to the top. And then November comes, no rain. December comes, no rain. January, no rain. Um, Lord, <laughs> I need some rain. February comes, no rain. And you're waiting, God said, the rain's coming. Now, you were wise in getting your crop out there early, but he said, you're going to have to wait. I promise you, though, it's coming. Just wait. And then the later rains come. Have you ever hoped for spiritual fruit in the life of your child? When they were three or four years old, you were thinking, oh, boy, I wonder, and you prayed. And then at five or six years old, they accept Christ as their Savior, so excited. And then maybe they're eight or nine years old, and they have such a spiritual outlook on life, and you're so thrilled. And then all of a sudden, there seems to be a dry spell in their life. There seems to be this sense that they're, just, they're more interested in girls or boys or pizza or sports or whatever, and there's a dry spell. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, all those years of praying and all those years of digging and all those years of fertilizing and all those years of doing what we can do, the patience pays off. And then there comes a latter rain and the rain comes and you see them as a beautiful 25-year-old godly Christian serving God, standing for the Lord, doing something good because the later rain came because you were faithful and you were patient. It happens in a church. 40 plus years ago, we started, and boy, I tell you what, we had some good growth. And boy, the rain came, the early rain, and then some years of some, some difficult times and some dry. And then now, here we are in this time, and the latter rain is falling on this ministry. I'm so excited about what is God is doing. Be patient. The point is, be patient. God said, I want you to, because the coming of the Lord is soon. Look at verse 8, he repeats himself. By the way, it's biblical to repeat yourself. It's <laughs> just double emphasis. Verse 8, be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Harvest day is coming, so be patient. Always remember there's a payday someday. And so plant good seeds, do good habits, and you'll reap a great reward. Establish your hearts, or we might say it in our current English language, establish your heart. And by the way, that's a very wonderful, strong word. It means to prop yourself up. Prop yourself up mentally and emotionally and spiritually, theologically. Prop yourself up with what? With the understanding of the second coming of Christ. Now, I, 
occasionally will take a trail walk. I'm not a big trail walk person. Some folks love to take hikes, and I'm like, hey, that sounds like work to me. I've tried a few of them in my life, but I will say this. Whenever we do take a nice little meandering trail hike, I always have a walking stick because I, my ankles are a little unstable and my feet are not so big. Some folks around here have big old giant skis for feet, and, uh, and so they don't need that kind of thing, but I need a third leg, and so I have that little stick, and I'm walking along. What am I doing? I am propping myself up so I can stay stable. Now, most people have some kind of prop in their life. They have a prop, like some kind of medicine that, you know, gives them some strength, that gets them through the day. Some folks use beverage alcohol, a little prop to get me through the day or whatever, you know, maybe to put me to sleep at night. And others, uh, you know, need their parties. Uh, that's their little prop. Others have some online relationship that kind of tickles their uh, little feelings. And others, sadly, uh, get just all out into porn. But the fact of the matter is, it's not that that they're getting, it's a prop. It's something to help them with the weakness they feel. Folks, you don't need that stuff. James said, what you need is to prop yourself up with the realization that Jesus is about ready to break through the sky. Don't prop yourself up with these uh, human props that are going to fail you, but rather with the coming of Christ. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 3.13, to the end that he might, God, might establish your hearts unblameable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Settle it. Settle it. The Lord is drawing near at any moment. People say, well, have told me, have asked me recently, does all this remind you that of the book of Revelation? Oh man, yes, it does. All that we're going through does. Does that, you think Jesus is coming? Yes. Others have said, is there anything left that's necessary before Jesus comes? The answer is no. There's only two things. The uh, sound of a trumpet and the voice of the archangel. And I saw Gabriel getting up last week. He was shining his horn. I'm going to tell you right now. He is coming. You say, well, wait a second. I thought this was written 2,000 years ago. You mean Jesus could have came 2,000 years ago? Yes. You'd say, well, how is that soon, folks? Jesus said that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. That's what Peter said. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years. It's only been two days to God. <laughs> it may have been 2,000 years on our uh, idea, but folks, Jesus is coming. First John 2, 18, little children, it is the last time. It is the last hour. A young boy was playing at his grandma's house. His grandmother had one of those wonderful, large grandfather clocks. Don't you love those? I love them. I just, I love seeing those clocks. Noontime was approaching, and when both of the hands of the old timepiece reached 12, the little boy knew the chimes would begin to ring, and he loved to count them. He counted each one as it sounded. However, something went wrong this time with the clock's inner mechanism, and after he counted 10, 11, 12, he thought it would end, but it went 13, 14, 15, 16, kept on going. The little boy couldn't believe his ears. He jumped up, he ran into the kitchen, and he shouted, Grandma, 
Grandma, it is later than it's ever been before. And folks, it is. And I will tell you something. In his youthful excitement, that little guy expressed a truth that I think we'd all do well to consider. With this, each passing hour, the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh. And that's what James says. If you want to have biblical patience, you've got to watch the clock. He's coming. The second thing is patience comes when we recognize the Lord's judgment and live in the fear of it. Recognize the Lord's judgment and live in the fear of it. Look at verse 9. Grudge not one another against one another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Here, James just gets super practical, as Pastor James is ought to do. He said, folks, as Christians, we've got to watch it, or else we're going to get a griping spirit. Now, irritations are one thing. We all have them. But we must be careful that it does not degenerate into a griping spirit. And I think if we're honest, we all tend to get a little grouchy when we're experiencing trials of our patience. But here he gets very specific. He said, don't gripe against one another, brethren, sisters. He said, don't gripe, and frankly gives a very stern warning. He attaches it to the judgment seat of Christ. He said, be careful about griping about God's people. Don't bring your griping spirit into the choir practice. Don't bring your griping spirit into the church house about the music or about the Sunday school department. Don't bring your griping spirit into the school ministry. Don't bring it. Because he said, there is a judge at the door. Now, I will say right now in America, and I can't speak for other countries, but it's probably the same. I think we're all going to settle down pretty soon with all of these different measures that are in place. And there's going to be likely a new normal. But I will tell you one thing that I hope will not be the new normal. And that is this, uh, this uh, griping, uh, uh, anti-consumer, uh, harsh spirit that's out there. And I pray that it does not seep into the church. I mean, people, frankly, have gone absolutely nuts about what to wear and what not to wear, what activities to do, what not to do. Folks, if you want to wear something, wear it. If you don't want to wear something, that's fine. I mean, this is America. We ought to be able to do what we want to do without that griping and snipping at one another. Be calm, folks. Be calm. And that's what God says here. He said, don't let this griping spirit get a hold of you. Or, he said, you'll be condemned. Be patient. Griping is not benign. It is a dynamic action. How many remember the old Super Bowls? Now, I'm, some of you younger folks don't know what Super Bowl is, but it's a little hard ball. I mean, it is hard. But I mean, it. I can't believe how things, those things would bounce. Every once in a while, we'd use those in baseball. You know, we'd hit that thing. I mean, you could hit a 600-yard home run. You know, you hit a Super Bowl. But here's what those, those Super Bowls are crazy. I mean, you throw it against the wall, it come back, hit you in the head. Many a time we throw it against the wall, and your eyeball, oh, ow. or you throw it there and hit your friend and laugh at him. And that's really what uh, complaining does. Griping does the same thing. You throw it, it hit you back in the head. He said, if you gripe, it's going to come back on you. You're going to be condemned. You're going to be condemned. It's going to come back on you, probably from the person. 
And there are some people that are, I'm telling you what, they're, they just, they mirror exactly. You have a harsh spirit, they have a harsh spirit. You have a kind spirit, they have a kind spirit. God said, just be careful about how you treat folks. And then he gives a very serious warning. He said, the judge standeth before the door. Now, in those days, the judgment hall, the great gates or doors, a judge would come and court was in session and they would open the doors and in would walk the judge. And boy, I mean, it was a very ominous moment. The picture is that Christ is about ready to walk into the judgment hall. He can hear him walking down the hall. Quit your griping. Jesus is walking down the hall and those doors are about ready to open. Now, I was been blessed with seven daughters and growing up in our home and sometimes I would hear those girls and those that they would kind of begin to chirp at each other a little bit and and I would want to take care of the situation and they probably don't know this but sometimes I would rather than just going up there and you know laying into them with a stern talking I would just make a lot of noise I would you know if they were upstairs just chirping at each other I'd hear them so I'd I'd you know, start walking up the stairs real heavy. And I'd hear him say, dad's coming, dad's coming, dad's coming. And then I'd shake a doorknob when I'm walking along. I'd kick something. By the time I got to the room, they are, I mean, they'd heard me for the last uh, 60 seconds. Dad's coming, dad's coming quiet. When I'd walk in, they'd all be looking at me. Hi, dad. Hi. (laughs) Yeah. The judge is coming. The judge is coming. That's what Here James is saying, he said, folks, I hear Jesus coming down the hallway and those doors. He says he's at the door. Calm yourself. Quit griping. Quit your complaining spirit. And in fact, he is specifically referring to the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ. 1 John issues a very stern warning about this for believers. Look what it says in verse 8. 1 John 1, 8, look to yourselves that we lose not the things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. In this world, it is easy, in fact, very quite easy to get so frustrated, so bitter, so irritable, so agitated, so testy that we get so impatient that it rolls over and it just wrecks our Christian testimony. And as a result, we get so impatient And God said, that's not a benign moment. That's like throwing a Super Bowl. It's going to come back on you. You're going to lose your reward. You're going to be judged. Sometimes some Christians have a crazy idea saying Christians will never be judged. Folks, they're just not reading their Bible. Because look what it says in Romans 14, verse 10. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, I want you to notice that it's the judgment seat of Christ the word Christ is the word, the Greek word for Messiah. He is a suffering Savior who settled, who paid our price and is now, he is uh, making intercession for us. The very fact that it's the judgment seat of Christ means he's been there, he's done that, he suffered, and all those sufferings were for us. And so he has a right to judge us. Years ago, I remember reading the story, and I'll share it with you, about a girl who was ashamed of her mother's uh, appearance. She had uh, very deep, uh, very unsightly scars in both of her hands, and she was uh, quite uh, embarrassed by the sight of them. 
And she just uh, begged her mom, insisted even, that when they were out in public, she would wear her gloves. Her mother agreed and never spoke a lot about her hands. But the mother grew sick one day, and this was in a day when medical science had little help for pneumonia, and the mother died. And while the body was lying there in the mortuary, the girl was there, her aunt was there, the mother's sister. She asked the little girl if she ever knew the true reason why her mother's hands were so terribly scarred. She said, not really, I just knew it was some kind of accident. She said, well, let me tell you the true story behind your mother's scars. She said, it actually happened when you were a toddler. One evening you were playing near the fireplace and you lost your balance and you fell right into the burning flame. Your mother, not wanting to wait one second to go out and get a blanket or something, plunged her hands into the fire, her bare hands, grabbed you and put the fire out on your clothes with her bare hands. And when she did, her hands were terribly, terribly scarred. Miraculously, the little girl was hardly touched at all. As the aunt was recalling the facts, the girl had never really heard a full account She broke out into an uncontrollable weeping and ran towards the coffin, reached down and removed those white gloves that covered her mother's hands and began kissing them again and again. Guilt flooded her heart for all those years. She had ridiculed the appearance of her mother. And while she was kissing her mother's hands, she kept repeating the words, these scars were for me. These scars were for me. And someday, my friend, we're going to stand before us, loving judge, and we're going to see those hands, those scars on his hands, and we're going to say, those scars were for me. James said, folks, we have a Savior who has sacrificed so much. We can be patient. We're going to stand before that judge. There's a third thing, and I hasten this morning. Not only should we rejoice in the Lord's coming and live in the light of it, number two, we should recognize the Lord's judgment and live in the fear of it. But number three, we should receive the Lord's servants and live in the pattern of it. Now, folks, this is a beautiful verse. I know as we read it before. I hope you got it. Take brethren the prophets as an example of patience. Who do we go to for a model of patience? You might think of Mother Teresa. You might think of some Zen Buddhist monk. You might go and read Nelson Mandela's book on, you know, how to endure suffering. But I will tell you the greatest example of patience, real patience, biblical patience, are the Old Testament prophets. And I'm still amazed at how many Christians don't ever read the Old Testament. I mean, honestly, it just amazes me how people don't know the stories. Now, it's easy to forget all the facts, but folks, we ought to know those stories. You talk, people say, read a biography. Yes, read a biography. Read the Old Testament again and again. And if you want to get a good biography, just read it in one of those paraphrases just for fun. It's just exciting. It says, by the way, they have spoken the name of the Lord. We're not just talking about people from history. These are people who stood for God and loved God and loved His Word and stood for the truth of Scripture. And it says they stood and great 
biblical patience. Let me give you just two wonderful examples this morning and we'll be done. Moses, you talk about a man of God, a prophet of old who was patient. He worked with evil Pharaoh, making appeal after appeal, and he just kept exhibiting biblical patience. Pharaoh was a governmental leader who kept moving the goalposts, kept changing the rules, never-ending suggestions, solutions, criteria, all which were unacceptable to a man of God and to the people of God. All of them did not allow them to obey God. Moses patiently, patiently, but assertively, unmoved, said, no, God is going to deliver us, and this is what needs to happen, and this is how we must worship God. And finally, God settled the matter, and he vindicated God's people in a big way, and he set them free. Now, friends, I cannot help but read that story, and honestly, over the last few weeks, I must tell you that that story has come to my mind many a times because I see a, a great correlation in our world right now. I've been very proud of uh, the churches uh, around here and across America for the most part. I think we've bent over backwards as churches to try to accommodate our leaders' wishes. I think we've bent over backwards twice. We've tried to accommodate our governor's no gatherings idea. And some have said, well, we need the governor's permission to have church. Well, let me just say without any equivocation, the church of Jesus Christ has never needed the governor's or the government's permission to worship God and to obey God. They've never needed it and never will. Now, by uh, we as God's people have voluntarily been willing to work with our leaders. We've tried to be respectful but in no way, shape, or form is the government over the church of God. I promise you that. And the Pharaoh found that out. And any emperor, any, uh, any leader of the last 6,000 years that ever tried to overrun the church. I remind you, the church was here before America. I remind you, the church was here before there ever was even a thought of Europe. The church has been here for 2,000 years. Governments come and go. Emperors come and go. But the church of Jesus Christ has been given a divine perpetuity by God himself. And I promise you folks that it is right to obey God. People say, well, what about Romans 13, 1, where it says, let every soul be subject unto the higher power? Exactly. Exactly. I think the higher power is God. Amen. Don't you think we ought to be subject to the higher power? I kind of believe the higher power is Jesus Christ. And I just want to say I thank God. I'm proud of each of us for our biblical patience during this time. And then one more great reminder is Jeremiah. You talk about somebody who is an example of patience. Read the book of Jeremiah. Read the book of Lamentations. Just get a sense of Jeremiah. I'm telling you what, God called him to preach when he was just a young person, even before he was born. But as a teenager, called him to preach, a teenager, to be a prophet to this nation that was gone crazy. After he preached his first sermon, his own family attacked him. 
Then he was preaching in Jerusalem, and all the religious leaders attacked him. They got so mad at him, they beat him, throw him into prison, and then dumped him in a sewer hole. That was Jeremiah, and yet he endured. Now, Jeremiah wasn't a superman. He was just a man who was on fire for Jesus. He had this endurance, this biblical patience about him. And I cannot imagine. Now, I've been around a few years. I've gotten uh, occasionally, you know, you'll get a negative comment about your sermon. And I will tell you, I've never quite understood why folks feel compelled to, to do that. But Jeremiah, he never had a positive comment. He never had any thumbs up on his YouTube, ever. He preached his entire ministry, and everybody hated it. I mean, they criticized him. Can you imagine what it would be like to be, every time you preach, you know, when you get done, they were just going to dump on you. I'll tell you one thing. Thank God for Jeremiah. What an amazing spirit. And I think we see it best in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. As he was standing there, watching Jerusalem burn for their uh, ungodly actions. And yet in the midst of it all, he said, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good. What a spirit. What a spirit from a dirty sewer to watching everything he said come true, and yet he just said, the Lord is good. The, not a bitter spirit, biblical patience, just continuing on, knowing that somehow God is my portion. I once read the true story about the shepherd's home for children it's a Christian boarding school for children with dis developmental disabilities. Among all the wonderful things that the leaders of that school taught these precious children, one of the ones that they loved the most was that Jesus was coming, and that what he did, he would change them. He would heal them of all their disabilities. The director said, however, that one of the challenges they faced, physical challenges, was that the windows were constantly dirty. Because these precious little children would come and press their hands and their noses and their lips against the windows every day, multiple times a day, because they were looking for Jesus, looking for Him to redeem them and to change their disabilities. Folks, I'm looking for Jesus to come. Well, with all my disabilities, mental, emotional, and just being human, thank God He's going to change all that. And that's the way we make it through life. Now, I've never been at a marathon. I would love to go one day. But they say at the London Marathon, something very unique happens every time they run it. They said during, at the last mile of the marathon, people line up with big signs. People come, family members come, and people who are friends come. And when they find a person who's their loved one or their friend, who has been running for 25 miles. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. 25 miles. When they see them, many of them are on the, about ready to fall on the ground. They can't stand the thoughts of going even a little moment further. 
And then they see those signs. Then they hear the cheers. Someone saying, you can make it. You can do it. You can make it to the finish line. And folks, that's what I want to tell you this morning. There's a finish line, and I can see the finish line. Jesus is at the finish line. He is right there. I'm coming, Jesus. I'm coming. Jesus, hands stretched out, arms wide, saying, Come, son. Come, my precious daughter. Come. Come. Jesus is coming, friends. Let that be the basis of our endurance. Let that be the basis of our patience. Let that be the basis of us making it another mile. I'll tell you one thing. Life is a marathon. It is a terrible marathon a lot of times. But with God's strength and endurance, we can make it through.